0: 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin reading at verse 19, and we're going to conclude today this series of messages that we've been involved in for the last few months called, or not months, uh, weeks, the last few weeks, called It's Not About Us. And so today we're going to be talking about how we are committed in crossroads to empl- employing creative approaches to ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. For for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. That's kind of contradictory to what most people in the world, how most people operate in the world. We tend to avoid the position of servant. We want to be on the other side of that. But Paul said, look, I'm here. Jesus has saved me and left me here. To serve his gospel. To bring the liberating, powerful, life-changing truth of his good news to people. And so I've made myself a servant to all. That's all I'm about. That I might win the more. And the use of the word win there is not in a sporting sense. Not, he's, he's not trying to beat somebody. To, he's, he says, I'm, I, I do this. I've made myself a servant to all So that I might gather to Jesus many souls. I might win to him many people who don't yet know his saving grace. Verse 20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. Now, Paul, the apostle who's writing this to the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth, he was a Jew. But he's making a statement. He, he says, Yeah, by birth I am a Jew. By training, I am a Jew. But when I when I'm in the company of Jewish people, I speak Jewishness. I, I, I meet them in their Jewishness to point them to the Savior. To those who are under the law or under the Mosaic law, those who have whose lives are lived under the uh, the, the, the dominion or the guidance, there's a better word, guidance of the Old Testament scriptures, the Mosaic law. Those who are under the law, I, I, I'm as under the law. I meet them there. I talk law. I explain. I, I, I meet them in that condition, in that circumstance to point them to Jesus. Verse 21, to those who, were, who are without law, to the Gentiles who don't have any connection to the Old Testament, don't have any connection to the Mosaic law, I, I meet them there as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak. To those who are broken and those who are, who are troubled and, and discouraged and lost, I I meet them there. I meet them in that condition so that I can escort them to the one who can change their lives. And then I love this phrase and and I hope that if you haven't, you'll memorize it. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. He says, I don't, I don't do this just uh, for, for my own entertainment. <laughs> I don't do this just to make a name for myself. I don't do this to earn points with God. I do this for the sake of the gospel. What is the gospel? You know this. The gospel is the good news. That's what that means. Simple as that. The good news That Jesus died for my sins, that I can have forgiveness before God and eternal life with Him forever. That's, man, that is marvelous news. That's great news, good news. And He said, So I do these things. He says, I'm like, don't get this in the wrong way, but He said, I'm like a chameleon. I change my appearance, my stripes to match my surroundings and my circumstances and the people that are in it so that I can meet them there and explain to them, introduce to them, uh, express to them the good news. Now, what he was not saying is, I water down the gospel so that it's more palatable. He's not saying that. He's not saying I compromise the potency of the gospel so that people won't be offended by it. You know, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's potent and it's powerful, but it's not offensive. It's life-changing. And you're here today as evidence of that. We never need to be afraid of the full impact, the full potency of the gospel. We don't need to somehow uh, tailor it to, you know, be less than it is in order for people to receive it. he's not talking about that. But he's saying, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, we here at Crossroads, we want to be people who take that seriously. Not because there's any value in just being novel for novel's sake. I mean, if you... You know, Donette, if you went out today in the parking lot there and lit your hair on fire, please don't do it. But if you did that, you'd draw attention to yourself, right? The crowd would gather and, and so on. We could, in other words, we could do things that would just draw attention to us or even to the gospel. But there's really no need for that. There's no value to that. This is not about just making, you know, being innovative for innovation's sake, Oh, that church over there, they're so innovative. They do all of these cool things. I'm sick of cool. Really. It's not about that. It's about making sure that we don't allow any artificial barriers to keep people from Jesus. Artificial barriers of culture and... And, uh, and um, you, you name it. I, you know, we, could, we could talk a lot about the kinds of barriers that get erected that keep people from, from the gospel. And, and, and that's what we're after, creatively thinking about how to get around those barriers so that people can uh, encounter the true gospel. It's about scheming and dreaming of fresh and effective ways to escort people to the Savior. It's about starting with what needs to be done instead of what can be done. You know, with our leaders and uh, with our church council, I I always love the conversations that begin with, what do we need to do? Not, what is possible (laughs) because <laughs> if you start with what's possible, nothing will ever get done because for us, <laughs> pretty much nothing is possible. There's never enough money. There's never enough people. There's never enough un- resource, you name it. There isn't. In fact, one, one time I was uh, I, I was serving in a church as a staff member, and this was back in the beginning of the Internet, so nobody, no churches had websites or anything like that. And uh, we were, we were going we're gonna, to, we, we said, you know what, this internet thing, I bet it's here to stay. We're going we're gonna to get a website up. And I came into that meeting saying, okay, tell me, because there was a lot of technical guys there, and, they, and I said, all right, tell me what are the boundaries? What are the, the restrictive things we need to know about? So we don't waste our time dreaming about things that we can't actually do. I couldn't believe I was saying these things. But a lot of us start that way. And when we start that way, we never do anything that that advances the, the, uh, the gospel, advances the kingdom. When we start with what are the boundaries and what can we do with the limitations that we have? We want to be a church that always begins with what needs to be done. God help us to do that. And it's amazing how God comes through for us. It's amazing what God can do when people will just say, God, I don't know how this can possibly be, but those people need your gospel. Show us how. Make it possible. And he does. So this is about having that as part of our DNA, that we start with what needs to be done, not what can be done. Listen, I've been... Uh, I've been in the church for a a very long time. Um, I was saved uh, or came to Christ as a young, very young person. And I've been, you know, uh, leading churches for over 30 years as a senior pastor. And so I, I I am steeped in, in church culture. Uh, That has its good things and it's bad things. You know, you can get to where you just do because it's always been done that way. But I, and I, I'm about to give you some things that you know I, I hesitated to do this morning because it draws kind of too much attention to me. But I want to help you understand what I'm talking about. But thankfully, and without any kind of really uh, deter- determination on my part, just the grace of God, I have been in my lifetime on the cutting edge of a whole lot of stuff that were seen at the time, that was seen at the time as, wow, that is way out there. That's on the edge. But it drove the church forward. It moved the gospel into places where it wasn't going. I told you this before, but back in the 1960s, I was a little kid or a, you know, young teenager in a in a big Baptist church, and and it was a great church, and but we were having these membership meetings, these congregational meetings to decide whether it was okay to have a guitar in the church because, you know, it was this ungodly rock and roll instrument. And I was among the first to say, you know what, this is what kids my age are listening to and brought the brought, uh, you know, guitars into the church. Now we don't even think about it anymore. So that wouldn't be, not, you know, you're not going to put a sign on your church, we have guitars here. and yeah, It's not going to be seen as novel anymore. At the time, and most of you can't relate to this. It was like, you can't do that. When I was in my, uh, When I was in high school in my sophomore year, I realized that a lot of the kids my age were never going to come to church. And there wasn't anything the church was doing that was relevant to them. And so I got a bunch of my friends together and I said, what can we do? What needs to be done? And so we found some guy that had a movie camera. I mean, it wasn't video in those days. A movie camera. You know, the kind of thing that when you edit it, you take the film out and cut it with a razor blade and tape it together, you know different we got a guy with a movie camera we went to various places and and filmed some stuff we 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 stole time in a recording studio got some guys together and made a a soundtrack for the thing and and we created a a musical film that was that described a person's a kid my age a testimony of that person coming to Christ. And the amazing thing was the Lord opened doors all over the place for us to be able to show that. In film classes, at colleges, I was a sophomore in high school. We would show, in colleges, we'd show this thing in film classes, in colleges, and high schools, all around our area, and people were saved. The church wasn't doing anything creative in terms of visual arts. But I happened to be on the scene doing, you know, on that ed- the edge of that advance of that thing. Now, I showed a video already earlier this morning. It's no big deal in our churches. Then it was. I wrote a... When I was in my senior year in high school, I wrote a musical that was designed to be performed with a modern dance company about the prodigal son. And we would show up at churches to perform this, and when they found out, when they actually realized there were going to be people dancing on the platform, it was like... You can't do that here. You don't dance in church. And now we all, here in our church, we rejoice with hula and modern dance and all kinds of stuff that, you know, we love. And it's so expressive of the heart of God. But in those days, it just wasn't done. My freshman year at Bible college, the dean of students took me into his office. And in those days, I was. I was a hippie. I really, you know, I, I, was, I grew up in a very conservative home and I was a, you know, a child of the church. But I really did want to identify with the people of my generation. And it was lots and lots. The country was filled with, with uh, young people that were disaffected and didn't, were, were stretching the boundaries of everything. You know, our motto was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, you know... Um, we were doing it and I wanted to be able to speak into that culture so I became a hippie hard to believe now I know really it is but uh, I was dean of students at my bible college brought me into his office and I've got long hair and the whole you know thing and he says to me he says Randy we're really glad that you're here I think he what he meant to say is, I'm sure glad you're not you know you're not out on the street and I'm glad you're here better place for you but he said i just want you to know your picture will not be in the yearbook <laughs> i mean now that wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be a thing when we started our first church we began in the jockey's locker room at the county fairgrounds this was the only place we could rent Can you imagine? I mean, there was showers and lockers, and we were having church there. But a church was born there, and when the church grew and we needed another place, we didn't have the money or the resources to buy property and build a typical church building. So we went to the city and we said, "Hey, this is this. uh, There's a lot of development or um, research and development." Uh, business parks being built in our community, that would work great for a church. This is one of those kinds of buildings. But you know, it was against the law. You couldn't legally have a church in a building like that. So we had to go through the process of changing the zoning ordinances of our city to make that happen. And after that, a whole flood of churches were able to find facilities, and anyway, I could go on and on. My point is this. Not that there was anything particularly admirable or or not about me or the things that I was involved in or have been involved in my whole life. What matters here is the gospel. We want to be a people who are not just doing things for novels for novelty or for innovation's sake, but we never want to let there to be let there be an artificial barrier to the advance of the church. We never want to say, oh, you can't do that because it's never been done. You with me? Now, I think pretty much, I don't know how long that was, 10, 20 minutes? (laughs) And I think really it was sort of a waste of time because most of you get that, right? I don't think I just said anything in those past few minutes that were, was all that important to anybody here? I think we're all on the same page with that stuff. But I needed to kind of set that as, as, a, as something in the background for what I want to do for the last few minutes. And I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, and you he made alive. That'd be a great place for something. An amen, hallelujah, or something. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses. That means a rebellion against God. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked or lived According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, he's referring to Satan, the one to whom our race gave authority over this planet. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve thumbed their nose at God and turned from him, they gave authority over this planet to our adversary, the devil, And so he is called the prince of the power of the air. And so this world is functioning according to his direction. And under his sway. And under his guidance. And it says here we were all part of that. The spirit and not the Holy Spirit. The unholy spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature. By nature. By nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But God. Marcus, you once were, like all of the people that are wandering around today, under the sway of the enemy, but God. But God. We had a nature that was uh, uh, um, in opposition to God. By nature, we were opposed to God. But God. But God sent his son Jesus to take the penalty for our sins and to make it possible for us to have a heart transplant, to by nature become children of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says that God has done all of this amazing stuff in transforming our lives so that in the ages to come, he might have us on display as his trophies. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is uh, the Greek word poema. We get our English word poem from it. For we are his creative masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, dear one, is his, our his, creative masterpiece. I spent a lot of my life as a musician and a songwriter. And I can tell you, man, any, anyone in the band, any producer, any engineer that wanted to mess with my song was in for a fight. You want us to change the chord progression there? You want to get rid of that chorus? You want to? No way. This is my creative masterpiece. You're not touching this. It has to be just as it is. Well, God has said, God has said, Stephen, you are my creative masterpiece. Dear one, every one of you, in the sound of my, hearing my voice, within the sound of my voice this morning, if you have come to faith in Christ Jesus, you are his masterpiece, his creative masterpiece. The authentic you, that's the problem. The authentic you is his creative masterpiece. The problem is a lot of us don't even know who that person is. I'll tell you what, it's not the one you think you should be. You know what it's like? (laughs) You know what it's like. Oh, I should be, I shouldn't be, I should do that, I shouldn't do that. We have all of that going on. That's not the authentic you. The authentic you is his creative masterpiece. The authentic you is not the one you wish you were. We all know what that's like. Oh, I wish I, you know, I wish I looked different. I wish I had hair. I wish I didn't have, you know, some weight here or there. I wish I had, you name it. I wish I was different. That one that you wish you, you were. You know, Hebrews thirteen five says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. You know what covetousness is? It's where you want someone else's life. You want what they've got. No, I want his. I want his family. I want her job. I want, let your conduct, the way you live, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, this is why, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you just like you are. The way I made you. Don't want to be somebody else or something else. In fact, dear one, when we try to be someone other than the authentic you, we try to be the person other than the authentic person God made us to be, we are are disrespecting God's artistry. The authentic you is not the one others think you should be. You ever had someone else barking in your ear about what you ought to be or not be? You know, what classes you ought to take in college, who you ought to marry, blah, blah, blah. Job you ought to have. I'm not saying that people aren't well-meaning when they offer advice or counsel along that line or that you should be, you know, disrespectful and not... And not receive it from people who are you know love you and care about your life. But you know what, dear one? You have only one audience. An audience of one. His name is Jesus. You live your life for him, not for anyone else. The authentic you is not the one others think you should be. And it's not the one the world is trying to shape in you either. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into this world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may be living proof what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, this world is trying to shape you into its image for you and of you. That's what advertising is all about, trying to shape your desires about and your understanding of what it is that you need. You need to have Crest toothpaste. <laughs> right? And, so, and, you know, that's a rather, <laughs> a rather tame example, but I don't need to explain this. You know what I'm talking about. You felt that pressure. From your peers and from... When I say the world, I don't mean the planet. I don't mean the geography or the geology. I'm talking about the system, the world's system. Don't be pressed into the mold the world has for you so that you think the way about things the way it says you should. That you act in the ways that it says you should. The authentic you is not the one the world is trying to shape and then we'll end with this. It is also not the one your sin has left in its wake. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Pastor, you mean I'm not stuck with the mess I've made for myself? You see, look, for every one of us it's as though sin has come through like a raging fire and scorched everything and all that's left is death and darkness. And you can be tempted to look around and say well okay this is this is what I deserve. This is this is me now. A pile of broken relationships the consequences of bad choices and all the rest. At least I am going to go to heaven someday. God wants, wants you to be with him in heaven forever, but he wants so much more for your life. And he has promised that you are not left with the scorched uh, landscape that sin has left in your, in your life's wake. You are his creative masterpiece. And he's not lost the original. Maybe you have, but he has not. So here's my point. How do these things go together? Being a church that, that employs creative approaches to ministry, which I think all of us pretty much get, But if that's going to happen, it's only because if we're going to be a church that is committed to to employing creative um, creativity in, in our ministry, it will be because we have become the creation of God. It's because we have begun to live as his creative masterpiece. When you live out of that authentic you, when you are becoming the person God created you to be, you can't help but be creative. Because that's who he is. That's who you are. That's who I am. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more important for you, for the advance of the gospel, than you being the authentic you. You will not be able to, we will not be able to be held back by any barrier when we live that way. This is recording number 11125 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 5th, 2014. This is the fifth and final message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, It's Not About Us. This message is titled, Committed. Creative Approaches to Ministry.